0: Well hello my friends, welcome to Hope For Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett and we're on part two as we look at the book of Galatians chapter number one. And we're gonna be talking today, as we have followed up from yesterday, on the subject of living by grace alone. Living by the gospel and the gospel alone. As we look at the book of Galatians, what a powerful book this is. Now before we get into our continued study of Galatians, I wanna talk to you about priorities. And I've read the book this year, The 21 Days of Prayer for Your Church Leaders, and day number two, or chapter number two, talks about priorities. And Tony Brown says that when you look at the word priority, he says, I've heard what Daniel Henderson describes priorities as. This is a good definition. A priority is the commitments that we put first in our lives because we feel they are most important. So what are you putting first in your life? Now, he goes on to describe that these commitments are a way that we address the basic areas of our life's focus. It's not just a checklist, right, that we're checking off. These are my most important tasks, but it's a larger picture. We're looking at where we put the greatest amount of our time, the greatest amount of our energy. These are the commitments that ultimately determine our goals in the way that we spend our time. Now, as you think about that, where are you spending the most of your time? Once you have clarified your priorities by looking at where you spend most of your time, most of your energy, you can establish goals that will help you to reach the priorities that you have. So one of the best ways that I have found to do this is by keeping track of where I am growing and where I'm spending my time. I guess you kind of say it's like, like exercising and like if you want to lose weight, they say the first thing you got to do if you want to lose weight, you've got to track what you're eating. So what are you eating? Write down what you're eating and you will discover what your priorities are. So for me, I've learned that one of my priorities in eating is Chick-fil-A, the spicy chicken filet from Chick-fil-A. I just love that sandwich, right? My son loves that sandwich. And so he got me hooked on it. So that's one of my priorities. So as we look at priorities in life, what is your priority? If you really want to lose weight, if you really want to get in shape, You've got to track your progress. So, one of the only ways I track my progress when it comes to exercise is I have this uh, app on my phone that tracks my steps. And so, I set a goal some time ago to walk at least 10,000 steps every day. Now, in order to do that, that's going to require about an hour or so of my time every single day. And I find it's best to get up early and do that. So, I prayer walk. And then I also listen to the Bible as I'm walking because I'm trying to read through the Bible this year four times. And so I am already more than halfway through the Bible and my journey to read through the Bible four times this year. And I find that I do much better if I listen to it and read it at the same time. And this is kind of how I am with ADHD. I kind of have to hear it and read it at the same time so that I don't get sidetracked. Okay. So I'm tracking my progress with my steps. I'm tracking my progress on the Bible app that I use as a 90-day read-through the Bible app that I'm using through version of the Bible, and then I'm trying to—and I'm not so successful when it comes to tracking my food, right? And so I'm working on that one. But when we think about priorities, regular evaluation of our priorities is also a part of growing. You know, each person grows through different seasons of their life and they need to be open to how priorities are going to change as you go through different roles in your life. For example, 32 years ago, I became a dad. It seemed like it was that long ago, but when my children were being born, we had five children. The first one was born 32 years ago. My priorities began to change. And I was, uh, what I would say, a workaholic, and we were heavily involved in ministry. And when we started our church, uh, we had three young children, and so I had to really evaluate my priorities because I was working a couple of jobs, trying to provide for my family because I thought it best, my wife and I thought it best for her to be home with our kids until at least they all started school. So there is a time frame there of about 15 years where my wife was at home with our kids. And then once the uh, youngest one started in kindergarten, then she began teaching. And so uh, we kind of worked it that way. So in order to afford to do that, I had to spend a lot of time working, you know, starting the church and working a job on the side to try to make ends meet. But God always provided, right? So reevaluate your priorities. Now today... Thankfully, my priorities are a little bit different, and I don't have to uh, work as many hours per se. I'm doing it in a different way. And now, because of the fact that we're having grandchildren, I'm trying to ease up my schedule a little bit so I can spend some time with the grandchildren. So, when you think about priorities, serving the Lord, is that a priority for you? Serving God. You know, when we serve the Lord, you discover that you put him first, right? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. When you seek first God in all that you do, you discover that he gives you the ability to do well in all areas of your life. Now, the opposite is also true, right? James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you do not have stability in one part of your life, you will not have stability in any part of your life. I've discovered something about people that have stability. It's not just one area of their life. They're stable spiritually. They're stable financially. They're stable emotionally. They're stable in all the affairs of their lives. And so James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So when we're praying, maybe the reason that we don't have our prayers answered is because we are not single-focused. Maybe you need wisdom, right? James says, do you need wisdom? Well, ask of God. And when you ask of God, he's going to give you that wisdom. James is so audacious as to say that he will give it to you generously without finding fault. But let that man ask in faith, he says, nothing wavering. And then he goes and explains what that is. The one who is wavering is the one who is like the ship in the sea Tossed to and fro, right? Up and down, all over the place. James says, Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord, because he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. So a double-minded person, a dual-minded person, doesn't receive from the Lord wisdom. So if you are lacking wisdom and you keep crying out to God, Lord, would you give me wisdom? Maybe you need to look at the stability of your life. Maybe you need to look at the fact that you must be a single-focused person. Now, Paul, as he's dealing with the Galatian believers, he says, I'm astonished. You started your journey with Christ, believing in him, completely putting your faith in him. But he says, I'm astonished that you have so quickly deserted the gospel. You have so quickly fallen away. And now you are leaving the one that you love, the one that's never going to leave you, and you are teaming up with a different gospel, which is not a gospel at all. Anybody who teaches salvation through any other means other than exclusively through Jesus Christ is teaching a different gospel. It's actually a cult. Paul says, this is really no gospel at all. And this is Galatians 1, 6, and 7. You know, whenever you look at any faith, always look at who is the central figure of that faith. Is it a man-centered faith? Is it based on a particular founder? Is it based on particular works? Is it based on accomplishments? Or is it based on Christ and Christ alone? You see, every major faith on the planet has a theology for who Jesus is. But only Christianity says that Jesus is God, always has been God, always will be God. And whoever calls upon his name, exclusively on his name, shall be saved. So, Paul here is reminding us of the significance of the gospel. Now, what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Well, number one, we are delivered. We were lost. We were hopeless. We were helpless. Paul put it this way to the Hebrew believers. He says, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So Paul is saying, if you reject salvation, if you ignore salvation, if you say, well, I'll deal with that later, right? If you die without the gospel, if you die without salvation, he says, this salvation was first announced by the Lord himself. Jesus himself spoke about salvation. He says, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And it says, it was delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. The apostles were converted. They proclaimed the gospel. The gospel is what delivers us from helplessness. So when you're born again, when you're saved, you are no longer lost. You have been found. It's not that Jesus lost you, but you were lost in your sins. And when you came to a saving knowledge of Christ, you are filled with the spirit of God. Here's something else that happens. Jesus is dying in place of us. You see, sin The man's payment. The wages of sin is death. And I know this may be hard to take, but um, somebody is going to pay for your sin one way or another. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the gospel is Jesus dying in place of us. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again so that we could be forgiven, justified from our sins. So when we're born again, we're delivered from being lost, delivered from being helpless. We have Jesus dying in our place, taking the penalty for our sins. And then number three. The gospel is God accepting the work of Christ on behalf of raising him from the dead. I love how Peter puts it. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, that is the righteous, the Son of God, the righteous Son of God, dying for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the Spirit. We are quickened. We're made alive. We are brought back to life because of the work of Christ. In Ephesians 1, it says that God's incomparable great power is for us who believe. Now, this is amazing when you think about it. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that is given to us who believe in him. So stop walking around like you have no power. Stop walking around all discouraged and all depressed because you see how bad the world seems to be. Our power doesn't come from the world, our power comes from Christ. Ephesians 1:20 says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So, the gospel is amazing. Let's talk about why is the gospel so great, and then why is it so dangerous if we desert the gospel, if we abandon the gospel? Well, let's talk about the three dangers first, okay? Now, when you think about the gospel, it is all of God's will and all of God's grace. So, when we abandon this, we are rejecting God's will for our lives We are saying no to his grace. Jesus himself said, of every sin, you may be forgiven, except blaspheming the Holy Spirit, rejecting the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit draws men unto salvation. I believe the Holy Spirit is active and leading people to Christ. The question is, how do you respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, right? As you listen to me today, maybe you're feeling the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You're feeling this tug, right? And you're not sure what it is, but you're saying, uh, what is being said is starting to make some sense to you, and you want to put your faith and trust in Christ. I want you to know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that you be born again. God has given you the grace to be born again. If you reject that, You're rejecting God's will and you're rejecting God's grace. There's something else that is a danger that happens if we desert or reject the gospel, and it is the danger of confusion. You see, everybody is surrendering to something. You're either going to surrender to Christ, or you're going to surrender to yourself, or you're going to surrender to somebody else. Self surrender is rebellion against God. And it creates a whole lot of confusion. Let's look at John 1, verses 12 and 13. This is John the beloved. This is the disciple that Jesus loved, right? But as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John talks here about the power of the gospel. As many as received Christ, he gave us the right to become the children of God. If you believe in his name, then you're born. You're not born of blood. That's the physical birth. You're not born of the will of the flesh. This is not something that you decided to do. This is not the will of man, but this is God's will. So we are receiving the gospel when we surrender our will to the will of God, and we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's when we're saved. Now, if we don't do that, life is filled with confusion. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 16, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, And a proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages. So, Paul reminds us here that we have the strength according to the gospel. We have this ability to be receiving the mystery that has been kept secret. We have the light turned on, I guess you could say. We have the ability to see where God is moving and how God can bring life to us. Now, if we reject the gospel, there is a danger of perversion. I think there's kind of two major dangers that occur when we reject the gospel. We could say there's three. We talked about the first one is confusion. But how is that confusion manifested? Well, those who reject the gospel basically fall into two camps. One is the camp of what we would call liberalism. Now, the danger of liberalism is that they will subtract from the gospel. They reverse the gospel. They believe that the gospel is not enough. And so all roads lead to God is what they'll be saying. You believe one way, I believe another. And so that is subtracting from the gospel. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So, liberalism would pervert that gospel by saying, oh, yeah, it's Jesus plus something. That is actually subtracting from the gospel, saying that it's no longer just Jesus himself. But there's another danger, the danger of adding to the gospel. This would be the danger of legalism. Now, this is what Paul is dealing with in the churches of Galatia. They're adding to the gospel. That's legalism. So the gospel is so important because if you were to die today and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? Well, the gospel is what makes me right with God. Paul said to the Roman believers, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We're saved by the life and death of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul understands, and I hope that you understand, that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us right with God. You know, the gospel also forgives us and saves us from our sin. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. Yet we know that no one is justified by works of the law, but by faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one can be justified. You see, the gospel is so important because it makes us right with God. The gospel is so important because it forgives us and it saves us from our sins. There's something else that is so important about the gospel. It changes my entire life now and forevermore. You see, it's not keeping the law that makes me a Christian. My life is really not changed when I decide to try to keep the law. My life was changed when I realized I could not keep the law, and my life was very far from God, and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 1.5 that the gospel is not merely words, but it's the power, and is found in the Holy Spirit, and it's found with much conviction or much assurance. You see, as you're listening today, you're hearing my words, but I pray that you hear the power of the gospel. It's greater than just merely words. I guess it's kind of like trying to define love. We can come up with different definitions of love, and in the Hebrew language, there's actually five different words for love, right? And We can parse these words, and we can define these words, but love is not really most easily understood by hearing about love, it is best understood by experiencing love, being in love with somebody. How do you explain that? It is really beyond human explanation. The gospel falls into that same category. It's one of those things that when you have been saved, your life is radically changed. You are no longer living under your circumstances. You are no longer depending upon yourself to gain God's favor. You are completely surrendered to Christ. You love him because he first loved you. You are tapping into his love. It's difficult to put words to it, but you experience that agape, unconditional love of Christ found in Jesus Christ. Not merely words, but power and the Holy Spirit. And that brings us much Assurance. Now, Paul says he wasn't sufficient in and of himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. To think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from God. So one of the indicators that you are truly born again is that you recognize all of your sufficiency is from God. And he gives you the power to be a minister for the new covenant. And he says, it's not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law. It says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, maybe I can explain it this way. You know, the strongest argument for the gospel of Christ is the personal testimony of someone whose life has been changed by it. Charles Bradlaugh was an avowed infidel, and he once challenged the pastor, Reverend H.P. Hughes, to a debate. The preacher who was head of a rescue mission in London, England, accepted the challenge. But he says, I'm going to accept the challenge with the condition that he could bring with him 100 men and women who would tell what had happened in their lives since trusting Christ As their savior, they would be people who once lived in deep sin, some having come from poverty stricken homes caused by the vices of their parents. Pastor Hughes said they would not only tell of their conversion, but would submit to the cross-examination by anyone who doubted their stories. Furthermore, the minister invited his opponents to bring a group of non-believers who could tell how they were helped by their lack of faith. Well, when the appointed day arrived, the preacher came and he had his 100 transformed persons with him. But Charles Bradlaugh never showed up. The result? The meeting turned into a testimony time and many sinners who had gathered to hear the scheduled debate were converted. That, my friend, is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to transform lives. Uh, How about you? Has your life been changed by the gospel? Well, why not right now pray to receive that free gift of the gospel? Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again. And I put my faith and trust in him. I, by faith, receive the free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how simple it is, right? Profound, yet so simple. If you just prayed that prayer, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365? I would love to pray for you, asking God to help you to grow in your faith. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad that you joined me today. I'm praying for you, and I look forward to talking with you again tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash1890557 or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard south in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.